up, guys? Welcome to the Seek Outside podcast. I just wanted to fill you in on this episode. So the reason why we're releasing this episode right now is because... So this episode is going to be with Gary, who's the uh, GM over there at Western Mountaineering, who in, you know, we, we sell their bags, but they really are some of the best sleeping bags out there. But we're releasing this today because we do have... And this is very limited, but we do have some Western Mountain sleeping bags, Western Mountaineering sleeping bags in stock right now. So um, if you listen to this podcast and you're convinced that you you need one of these things, give us a call and uh, we can get that sent out to you. In other Seek Outside news, we're starting to get some things back in stock. It's been a really busy uh, hunting season here, but we're starting to get some things back in. So if you have a, if you have a hunt that you've uh, waited to the last minute to to get a shelter for or you're looking to upgrade or something like that give us a call and uh, we'll let you know what we got in stock so yeah hopefully we'll talk to you soon if not enjoy the podcast welcome to the seek outside podcast and then you should you think that's bad see ryan on the phone in the office <laughs> You know how um, people always say that they're going to have to pry this out of my hands with, you know, cold dead hands when I die? That's how I feel about my Western Mountaineering Badger. I don't know if there's a finer all-around sleeping bag made. Um, I love everything about it. And I do have a couple different Western Mountaineering bags. Uh, I've had custom bags in the past. Uh, I've had all sorts of bags. But I will say... And I'm not trying to, our podcast is with Gary, the GM from Western Mountaineering, but I'm not trying to be a salesman here. But if there's one bag, I could only have one bag forever right now, it would be the Western Mountaineering. And if I would have bought just this bag straight up 15, 20 years ago, I would have saved so much money and all these other bags that I bought that I wasn't happy with. So anyway, how you doing, Gary? Intro. I'm doing good. Thanks a bunch. That was a great, great testimony. Yeah. So, um, you guys are based in San Jose and I hope this doesn't, but I thought like, let's educate people on some of the differences with Western Mountaineering. Hold on just one sec. Sorry. You want to, you want to just throw that guy on? Um, some of the differences with Western Mountaineering, but also like what the different things mean. So I have a badger right here in its packaging and I see that it says goose down minimum 95% down so if you're looking at a bunch of bags of the label what does that mean and how is it separated from say the $100 bag or the $200 bag well just just real quick can you and before you go into that would you mind explaining Mm -hmm. what you do there at Western Mountaineering for folks Mm -hmm. right on yeah so I'm um, one of two Gary's owner is Gary Shazlin and Gary Peterson. Um, I've been here since 92 or 93, somewhere around there. Um, and I order raw materials. Um, I do some designing of products and uh, uh, deal with sales, fix the sewing machine sometimes, you know, just do, do a lot of stuff. Um, 
uh, I put together the catalog and, and uh, deal, you know, with dealers and, but mostly ordering raw materials and, and uh, sourcing and, and just general management of the company, of the brand, you know. Right on. Yeah, so, so the things on the label there, what, uh, what are we looking at here that 95% uh, down? Yeah, Goose so down. Goose down. down is actually higher than that. It's uh, probably like 97 or 98 percent goose down. What that means is cluster to feather ratio. Okay. So, so that's a, uh, you know, the higher the cluster ratio, the better the down. And and then we also look for large cluster. The size of the cluster is also important to us. Okay. So, so what is what is a cluster of? Let's take it from the beginning. So, mm -hmm. we got down, which is is primarily what these sleeping bags are made out of. <clears throat> what what the good ones are made out of um, generally you know they pack down smaller they're lighter is kind of one of the big benefits of down and it seems like recently they've made leaps and bounds of uh, you know waterproofing it because that was typically always the downside of down right um, but but so for those people that maybe don't know what is down yeah goose down is just a natural insulation um, it's an amazing raw material. Um, all of the little steps that we take in production are to hopefully make the bag last as long as the down. Uh, down can last like 60 years or more. It's just incredible. You can uh, stuff it in a bunch of times. You can forget about it in the your car. And as long as it's not wet when you put it away, because that would it would develop mold. Uh, which can damage down, but besides that, as long as it's dry when you pack it away, you can forget about it in the trunk of your car for a few years and pull it out and toss it in the dryer and it would be good to go. Uh, it's just really, really durable raw material. So what is the difference between goose down and duck down? Why choose goose down? Yeah, so we've never seen a duck down that's as nice as goose down. Uh, the Goose Town, the properties of it, the cluster sizes are larger. Um, there's usually less, um, well, with the stuff we buy, there's less uh, feather content also. Uh, the down we get, it's come from Poland and it's just beautiful down. Um, okay, so know, now so you said that you have minimum of 95%. It's yeah. 97, maybe 98. 98, what? but they, there's a cutoff. You have to either have, you can't say really 100%, so that's the the next legal yeah. claim we could make. What What is the rest of it? Is it just feathers or? Yeah, it's it's feather, some feather content with some little uh, fibers and things like that. Just like things that come off of the, uh, and have broken off of the, uh, of the clusters. Little, um, what they're called, uh, uh, the little, oh, I don't know what Little pin feathers. Right yeah. Just little like hairs that come off the uh, of each of each strand of of, of down. Okay. So, so I was recently perusing a popular hunting forum, and a guy said that he bought a high-end bag, and that it lost a bunch of feathers, bunch of down is how he described it, and he was like, "Is this normal? Um, what ha what is actually going on when you see something that looks like a feather or a down coming out of a bag?" Well, I mean, it could be a number of things. It, the more you compress the bag, the more you're going to have 
down coming through somewhere. Um, if you super compress it, use a compression sack, or or after the down has had some, the bag has had some use, it'll start collecting body oils and it'll get slick. And so what you're left with is more of the feather content. Those hold up their shape, whereas the down clusters will compress. So it's actually uh, more important to keep a nicer down bag clean than it is a lower fill powered down bag. Hmm. Um, because the clusters will start limping out when they collect body oils, and that will happen more readily on the clusters than it will on feathers. Okay. Um, so there's more noticeable loft appreciation on high, higher end down. So what is the best way to, recommended way to clean them? Um, well, you basically put it in a front-loading machine, uh, or you can use a, uh, some of the new top loaders don't have a post. They have a little nub at the bottom, and as long as the, there's not a big gap enough to, you know, catch a zipper under there, then those are probably pretty safe to use. Um but you want launder it to the one you start noticing a lot of appreciation. Don't wait until it's like really flat. Mm -hmm. If you wait too long, you probably have to watch it a couple of times to get it clean. It's just like hair. So if you go on a month long trip and you don't wash your hair the first time you get back, you don't get any suds. Um, you know, you got to wash it twice. And, and down is the same way. So if you wait too long, and a lot of people do wait too long, uh, you'll you probably have to wash it twice before trying to dry it. And I just use like a Dr. Bronner's, but you can use any of the down soaps. Those are good too. Um, you just don't want to use anything with bleaches in it, things like that. So yeah. then you just put it in the dryer afterwards? And yeah, you toss it in the dryer. How I launder my bag is I zip up the bottom just a couple of inches. Um, and what that does is keeps the slider engaged with the other side of the coil so that it's not free to like get caught in anywhere in the, in the washing machine. So I think it's a little safer to do that. But besides that, I leave it unzipped. So I just, just leave it connected at the bottom by about two inches. Then I turn the bag inside out and I launder it like that. And I dry it like that also. Mm. Um, if you go to a large commercial you know, dryer and laundromat or something, feel the inside. Make sure there's no nicks or burrs or safety pins lodged in there or something like that. That'll thrash your bag. Yeah. But um, as long as it's smooth on the inside, you should be okay. Okay. So um, I think I, I feel like with down, you know, there's this whole thing with uh, with water, right? Um, I, I think there's some confusion out there, right? Where where people, um, all you hear about down is, you know, just don't get it wet, right? Don't make sure go to all all uh, lengths necessary in order to make sure it's not wet. But then you see that you can put this thing in the washer. You see that you can put it in the dryer. So, so if you wouldn't mind just kind of going into like maybe Down's relationship with water and like some do's and don'ts about, you know, getting it wet and, and how, to, how to dry it out uh, maybe in the field. And also, just to add a little color, Western Mountaineering was one of the only bag manufacturers when there was the big move to dry down or water resistant downs that Western Mountaineering said, no, we're not going to do that. I think over time, a lot of manufacturers have moved back into where you guys are, uh, have moved away from the dry down or right. water resistance. So so why didn't we not uh, right. follow that path, follow the way of everybody? It was crazy and everyone was jumping on board and we, we stayed on shore. Um, so basically down is really, really water resistant. 
it's more water resistant than any synthetic. If you lay a sheet of synthetic, any any synthetic, it'll start a, the pool of standing water. It'll start absorbing and sinking. Whereas down will float for months. So you can take a, a handful of down and put it in a water bottle that's half full of water and leave it there. It'll float for months, literally, three, four months. Uh, you can even shake it up every now and then. It's still going to flow up. Now, if you shake it for like four minutes straight, it's going to get totally soaked. And in, 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 then your hose, it's going to take a long time to dry. But the scenario for you to get a bag totally soaked when the shell fabric is really tightly woven, and it's, it's got to be in order to be downproof, and then it's calendared, usually the outer shells will have some DWR applied to it also. Um, that combined with the just natural water resistant properties of the down itself make it pretty difficult to to be getting it totally soaked. I mean, the most common scenario people encounter is the foot of a bag pressed against a soaked tent, tent wall. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the 90% of the issues are, are those, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you could, you know, usually monitor that with a sh shell jacket down in the, the area or, or and you know, get a better tent. You know, there's all kinds of things you can do. You can, you know, angle your tent in such a way that it makes use of the breeze, so you don't, you know, don't, don't cook pancakes in the vestibule to steam it up. There's yeah. all kinds of uh, things you can do, uh, but you need to work it into that your your skills and part of your backcountry uh, um, knowledge of how to, how to maintain it and keep water out because you don't want to sleep in a wet synthetic bag either. Yeah. Right really. now, yeah. that group think right where everyone is like, "Oh, let's go to water resistant or water proof or whatever we want to call it." True story. One time, it was probably like 20 years ago. I was doing a 14er, or I had I actually had the intention of doing a 14er, and so I was going up this thing, and all these people started going off to this peak. So I just followed them. I was like, "Why should I think for myself?" And I ended up on the peak, and I was like, "This ain't the tall peak." This is a sub-peak. This ain't even really a, you know, it turned out that everyone was going to the wrong mountain, even. You know, someone decided to go, took a wrong turn at Albuquerque, essentially, yeah. and everyone else followed along, and all of a sudden, all of us are standing on some peak that was like 13.5, you know? That's hilarious. <laughs> and stuff. So, um, you know, I still need to go back and do the real peak yeah. on that one. So, yeah, I mean, the group think can, can, can lead you astray. Well, so so yeah, how? Speaking of, yeah, I mean, because you guys are going back to that. Though, yeah, yeah. Go I ahead. Just want to finish up my uh, thought on that. We have been testing the uh, treated down of various suppliers for since 2013, um, and we have been not. You know, there's nothing that's pushed us into saying you know that we need to go with that path. The down that we use is so much nicer when you look at it just side by side uh, and, and we know that it lasts 60 years, like why go away from that unless it's something that's tested? So I didn't think that there's makes sense to just start using something because everybody else is using it when our down is so nice and we, it's been proven to work so well for so long. Uh, we just didn't think that we should go away from it. Also, the down that's treated is of a lower quality. It comes up a little bit in fill power to get to, you know, w during the treatment process. So the treatment process doesn't allow the down clusters to nest as closely. So it kind of gives you a full reading. Like uh, if it'll, they'll start out as a, if you see an 800 
kill power treated down. It started out probably as a 700 or 725, and then it became this 800 by treatment process, by the end of the treatment process. So what you're left with when it finally does saturate out is is less plumage in the in the chamber, and, and that can be an issue also. Yeah, and when the uh, treatment wears off, eventually, you'll be back yeah. down at 725 down instead yeah. of the 800. Yeah. Well, so yeah. so let's explain that real quick. I, I think there's a lot of people, everybody sees it on down jackets, you know, 850 fill or whatever. So mm -hmm. what what is that uh, fill rating of a down sleeping bag or something? And, you know, is it better to have a lower fill rating or is it better to have a higher fill rating? Yeah, so fill power is just the um, cubic inches of loft for one ounce of down. So if you see 850, that means 850 cubic, you know, uh, inches of loft for, for one ounce of down. Mm. And um, there's benefits to uh, lower fill powers, you know, that, that I can see. It's just um, there's less loft appreciation, for example. If you were to compress, super compress a 550 fill bag and you put it on a slow boat, to, you know, from here to... Uh, Norway or something, by the time it got there and you opened it back up, there'd be a little bit less loft appreciation on that bag than there would be on an 850 fill power bag that had the same, you know, journey. And loft appreciation is, is basically from a fully compressed, um, you know, stuffed bag uh, to when it's fully, you know, has the most R value or insulation. Yeah. Okay. When it's, yeah, when it's reached its full loft potential It'll get back to normal or back to its full potential, the uh, 850 fuel powered bag. But basically, there's only two sides to a feather, so that's why there's less loft appreciation on a 550 than there would be on a on a uh, 850 fuel powered down because there's more clusters and than than feather content. Unlike an 850, it just takes longer to actually get back to its regular content once you bring it out of the the stuff sack that you've had it in, right? It does take a little bit longer, and and if you uh, are to pack it away with some humidity in it, it can actually be hard to get it fully lofted until you get it back to it like a dryer. So if you if you ever put a hat on wet hair, you kind of set it in that you know in that in that position, so you'll have that crease in your hair until you can get you know through a blow dryer or get a shower or something. But it's hard to get that crease out. And down is the same way. If you compress it or super compress it when it's a little bit wet still, like if you haven't let it dry out, then uh, the clusters will have a hard time fully opening back up until you, until they can thoroughly dry now, out. Now let's let's take this for the sake of clarity with people when you're talking mm -hmm. about compressing or super compressing. If I yeah. put it in the stuff sack you guys provide, like I got this badger here, I pull it yeah. out and I put it in. You provide two stuff sacks. You provide a giant one for storage, essentially. Yeah, that's a storage bag. Yeah, and then you provide one that is for backpacking or to make it smaller. Is that considered yeah. super compressing or is that just... That's just compressed. That's just stuffed, basically. Um, super compressed is if you use compression straps uh, to get it even smaller. Now, the, the average bag of ours... Uh, the stuff sack size that we send it out with, you can usually get three or four inches more <laughs> more compression out of the length and maybe another inch or two out of the girth. Um, they'll go down quite a bit smaller than that if you really compress them. Now, I normally take, since we make relatively waterproof backpacks, I normally mm -hmm. don't put them in the stuff sack. I normally just put them at the bottom 
Um, maybe I'll actually put them in a garbage bag or something that I'll end up, but it's just the volume of my pack doesn't matter that much. Then I'll stuff in mm -hmm. whatever I need. Of course, if I got like 10 days worth of food, the bag is going to get compressed more inside the backpack. But if I have mm -hmm. one day worth of food, it's not going to get compressed as much because there's more volume in there that it can take up. So that's how I normally handle it. I don't mm -hmm. worry super bad, super much about the actual compression. Compression. I have a tendency mm -hmm. to a lot of times, if it's sunny, just flip my bag out inside out. Even if I'm doing seven, eight, nine hours of activity, you know. But if I'm at camp and there's an hour of sun, I'll flip it inside out and throw it out on top of the tent or on a tree or something, you know, because mm -hmm. I get kind of nasty. <laughs> so. I figure that my bag doesn't want my nasty ass. The stench. The yeah. yeah. Yeah, the stench of me. Yeah. Um, so that's another thing that I feel like a lot of people um, don't really know a lot about. Uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of things that you hear about down, and unless you're like kind of like a really uh, person that's reading about, you know, the gear that you're using. The gearhead. Yeah, unless you're a gearhead, you, you kind of don't really know about down and i feel like one of the myths about down is that if you compress it uh, for a long time you know you you set it in your your closet and it's full fully compressed stuff sack uh that that makes it not as effective in the future but it sounded like what you were saying was all you got to do is just throw it in the dryer um for you know on fluff for a couple minutes and it, it resorts back to its really huh so yeah most most people that have older down bags that, that think that they're shot, maybe got it in the closet, oh, it's been gradually losing loft over the years and it's no good anymore. If they just take it once and like wash it a couple of times it'll, to catch up, it'll probably, you should be able to restore the loft. Really? And, and we've only seen a couple of bags that were not restorable over, you know, in the last 30 whatever years that I've been here. Uh, I've seen only a couple of examples where the down was not re revivable, even if, 40 or 50 year old bags um, through laundering. You know, it's pretty, that's why I say it's such it's a really remarkable raw material. Yeah. So let's go back to the label here. This says mm -hmm. Badger Microlite XP Microfiber. Yeah. Left zip. Uh, left zip in size. We all know what that means, right? Mm -hmm. What is the microfiber? XP Microfiber. Microlite. So that's XP. one of our sh outer shell fabrics. We, um, we use three shell fabrics. Currently, uh, an extreme light fabric, which is a ripstop nylon, um, a microfiber, which is called a microlite XP. Uh, that's the name that we get that because it's fabric that we work with them to develop. And uh, then we use a wind stopper from Gore. Uh, it's now called Infidium. So um, that's a laminated fabric. Okay. So that's the most water resistant, least breathable. The microfiber is, I think, all around fabric. It's actually more breathable than our extreme light fabric because it's got less calendaring on it. Um, and calendaring is kind of like if you over iron a shirt and you get a shiny spot, you've calendared the fabric. They put the fabric through these little rollers and they can adjust the pressure between them and the heat, heat of each roller. In all fabric that's downproof, that's, that's, in order to be downproof, it's, it's not laminated. It has to be calendared with heat on at least one side. Uh, our microfiber has heat, uh, hot calendaring on one side, and our extreme light fabric has it on both sides. So it's shiny on both sides. No. A little bit less breathable. 
I okay. see people online and online forums or on Facebook or whatever in their discussion, wherever they're doing. Like a lot of people think like, well, I'm going up to Alaska. It's going to be wet. I need Windstopper. I'm going to order a bag with Windstopper. Personally, I don't necessarily feel that's the right choice. I feel that the microfiber or MicroLight XP microfiber breathes very well and is waterproof enough as long as you're in some sort of shelter that with something like the Windstopper, you're more likely to have moisture accumulate on the inside because it's a laminated fabric. Is that a correct assumption? And if not, correct me on what would be the right use case? Yeah, so I agree that most people that get the laminated shell fabric, they don't they don't all need the laminated shell fabric. If you're uh, directly against snow walls, or um, you know, if you've got so much moisture inside the tent, and also that you know, if you're sleeping in snow caves or just a bottomless tent, for example, um, then then I think if you're on a winter trip. Uh, or it's exclusively for winter trips, then I think maybe a windstopper is a good choice. Depends on where you're at, though. If you're in the Rockies, where it's the snow is pretty dry, um, a, a microfiber should be fine. Um, you know, if you're winter camping in in the Yellowstone or something like that, uh, or or in Montana, uh, a wind windstopper might not be necessary because it's the drier it's the drier snow. If you're in the Sierras. <laughs> Even though it's not as you know not as cold, uh, it, the the snow is just wet. Well, because it's not as, as cold, you know it's barely cold enough to freeze sometimes, and so it's you know it's just a wet snow. So if you're riding in snowballs in the Sierras, it's different from right, being riding in snowballs in in the sawtooths of Idaho or something like that, where it's the snow is usually drier. Yeah. So breathability. Um... <laughs> What, so what are the kind of the, the trade-offs there with uh, with uh, a, a highly breathable sleeping bag? Like, why would somebody want a very breathable sleeping bag for something that's going to be keeping them warm? Less clammy. So yeah. at least yeah. in my opinion, it increases your comfort range. Just like yeah. if you have clothing that moves moisture out better versus clothing that doesn't. Mm. When clothing doesn't, you start to feel clammy and your comfort range ends up getting reduced into a narrower band. At least that would be my my yeah, feeling. We've, we've made a couple of bags that were split in the middle, and this part would have windstopper, this part would have microfiber. Um, and we did that just to compare the two for breathability. And always the uh, microfiber would have a layer of frost on it in the morning. Mm. So that means it's breathed out the moisture and it's settled in the form of frost on the outside um, of your bag. You see it, you know you have to dry it out before you pack it away. The same amount of moisture is probably on the inside of the windstopper on the other side. Mm. Um, so and, and so you don't see it. It looks dry in the morning. I think it's a little more dangerous, like, you know, people packing away their bags. And eventually, over over time, they'll start losing a lot of residual moisture buildup on the inside of the windstopper mm -hmm. or, or, or Infinium. I, I, I would agree, and I actually can feel a difference between the super light fabric you guys use, I forget the name, and the microfiber as well. Like, I like the super light fabric for the weight savings, when the weight savings is more important than the comfort. But mm -hmm. as, it, as the days get shorter and the nights get longer and there's more time in your bag, 
I prefer the microfiber because it's a more comfortable bag to be in. I feel like I have an increased comfort range, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's a really good fabric. It's durable. It's breathable. It's very water resistant. So if you push down on the center of your bag, you can pour a cup of water and it'll just sit there. Uh, if you lean on the puddle, that'll push through. So it's it's able to handle most moisture up to the point of pressure being applied. Okay. Yeah, like I would I would feel fairly confident, say, sleeping under a big spruce tree, no tent or anything, even yeah. if I expected moderate moisture. Now, if I expected some sort of gale or hurricane or something like that, I would be like, no, <laughs> you know, I need I need a tent. But uh, I would I would feel comf comfortable with the microfiber, just bivying under spruce trees as long as the threat of moisture was just moderate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do the same. I sleep out a lot. You know, sleep in an area where I can, if I have to, pitch a quick lean to uh, in the middle of the night. You know, scramble around for ten minutes and just uh, pitch one if I have to if it starts dumping. But normally, I just like sleeping out. So a little bit of drizzle, even it's fine. Yeah, yeah. So let, I want to kind of move on to comfort ratings. Um, mm -hmm. Anybody that's bought a sleeping bag, I'm sure, has seen that there's a 15 degree, or a 20 degree, or a 30 degree, or a 50 degree. Um, if you want to kind of break down how they come about with those temperature ratings, that would be awesome. Can I interject in real quick? Do it. May I? Um, May I? I'm trying to be proper. I would say that comfort ratings or temp ratings vary fairly widely across the industry. And you guys are noted for people f feeling fairly true to temp, right? But you see a lot of people that buy, like, say, a cheap bag that is, maybe it's a 32-degree bag or something, but it's a budget bag. And... They say, I froze my ass off when it was 45. And so they feel that the next bag, they have to overdo it. And they end up going to a zero degree bag when they never plan to go, say, less than 20 yeah. or something, which is an overreaction. It's, it's like in the ultralight world where someone goes on a backpacking trip, they carry 35 pounds, and the next time they go out with 12. And they find out that 12 was no better than the 35 you know maybe they can move around better yeah but they had a really crappy camping experience instead yeah yeah so w yeah. what are what are temperature ratings so so temperature ratings the, the en rating which are what you see on on you know printed on the bags now nowadays are a european norm the european standard and that's the we have our bags tested to it uh, incidentally bags below zero for cold, designed for cold weather, the, the test does not work on. And so it's it's known that nobody tests their, their so we don't have our Pumas and Bisons tested. Um, the test is just too inaccurate for hmm. a cold weather bag. So, but, but from bags from zero to, you know, up to 40 or 50 or whatever, um, we have those bags tested. And the test result uses a copper mannequin, gives you three different results. One is called a T comfort or a temperature, comfort temperature, um, a lower limit, and then an extreme lower limit, which is a more of a survival rating. Like you should, you know, you should live at that. Won't at, get at hypothermia, but you're not yeah. going to be too happy in the morning. You know? Yeah, it's um, we don't we don't publish that. Um, we we do uh, have it tested in 
but it's just like a dangerously low thing. I don't think that anybody should promote it or you know look to. We think it's a little bit irresponsible to even publish those yeah. numbers. But most of our bags tended to come between the, the comfort and the lower limit. Our ratings that we gave the bags fell between the lower limit and the comfort. And how they use it in Europe is that if you're a you know, woman or or a who sleeps cold, you look to the comfort rating as a guideline base you know basis for you know your bag selection if you're a warm sleeper or a man or whatever then you'd look to the lower limit hmm. that's how they use it in europe anyway hmm. Interesting. Um, and there's a bunch of different like you know uh, sensors all over the mannequin measuring heat loss over time and you know i think that the test would be a little bit better if the mannequin pivoted every now and then you know, <laughs> make use of the little bellows effect and stuff inside the bag and it would it would show the differences of little features like collars and things like that 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 but, is absolutely true there on the features of like collars like if you if you move around a lot and you have a really crappy collar the bag isn't as near as warm as if you have a really good um collar hmm. yeah those things don't really translate into tests so that's one of the issues with it but you know by and large it's an okay baseline i think for people to use and and uh you know, if you're a cold sleeper, you can start in the comfort range, you know, looking at the comfort ratings of bags. You now, know. Okay. what about overfill? Um, here's kind of my take on it, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there's a lot of bags that probably are helped by overfill in the, in the down world because they end up, especially if you're a side sleeper, they end up shifting the down off of the top often. I mm -hmm. haven't really had that issue with your guys' bags at all. But I also see a lot of guys online who are all stressing out about having some overfill. Like, oh, I need overfill. And I'm just kind of like, sometimes I think that um, cheaper manufacturers, I hate to say it that way, more budget-oriented manufacturers, mm -hmm. oftentimes soil the gear for the more, or soil the thoughts for the more top-end manufacturer. So someone had a bag, didn't perform, the down was whatever. And they're like, well, now I'm going to buy a $600 bag, but that thing needs to be overfilled. Mm. Um, what is your take, and how does Western Mountaineering kind of handle that? So we offer it an overfill. If there's somebody that wants a quick box overfill because their feet are always cold or something, we can do that. My opinion is that it doesn't add that much temperature. Um, it doesn't extend the temperature by that much. Uh, we haven't actually had a, an overfilled bag, I think, in the EN testing to see what the difference is. But I would expect it's somewhere around three degrees or something, you know, maybe four degrees or five degrees at most. Uh, what it does is allow you to go a little bit longer between before you have to launder the bag because there's more density of plumage in the chambers. Uh, but the chambers are filled proportionately with enough down, uh, you know, in the stock. Uh, you know, with a stock amount of fill. So I don't think it's necessary. And only if you're trying to push the bag to a little bit colder or you're trying to use it mostly in the shoulder season. So if you buy a bag and you're going to be using it more often than closer to its, you know, its lower rating that we give it, then maybe you should get an overfill, you know. Mm. Um, but the d increasing the density of down alone doesn't necessarily uh, increase your warmth potential by that much um once the once you you know what you really need to do is increase the loft further away from your body 
to get more more uh, uh, warmth out of the package. So if you're ever in a down bag and you're sleeping cold and you have a down jacket inside the bag, try taking it off, putting it on the outside and balancing the outside the bag, and you'll probably get more warmth out of it that way if you can keep it balanced because then you're increasing the loft by two inches. So you have insulation further away from your body and then, then you're getting more uh, more warmth out of the system. So, so overfill can uh, add a, a little bit in the temperature rating, but not necessarily mm -hmm. much. Um, how, just one more thing on temperature rating. Um, mm -hmm. uh, wh what do companies do? Uh, like, how do how do companies kind of manipulate those those tests uh, to make it so that their bags have a lower temperature rating for what? you know, it is probably what it should be rated for. Is it just kind of like interpretation or like, how does that I mean, happen? I mean, when the test first came out, there was, you know, people, manufacturers were going back and forth and, you know, I have friends with other brands and things. And it was widely known that, oh, if you got wider bags, you send them to this test facility because their mannequin's a little different than this facility if you got narrower bags. So a lot of, uh, uh, Brands are sending in specifically to the locations uh, where they know that the test where they'll, get, they'll test mm, out the best. Where they'll get the best um, result because okay. of the shape of the mannequin. So there's yeah. a there's a huge difference in in the even though there's six or seven certified locations to test for, to do, conduct this test. Um, I think one brand Hadloft, which is a Swedish or Norwegian brand, they they sent the same exact six bags to all all of the certified uh, test facilities and they got like an 18 or 20 percent uh, variation from one to the to the next so um it's that not shows a, you that it's not a perfect a science yeah. and customers yeah. are thinking that it's perfect yeah and it translates across from one to the other now you you keep going back to the laundering part um yeah. i have probably i've mostly been pretty clean um but I have probably used my Badger like 200 nights. Um, what, you know, but a lot of times that's been like, I had it in my camper most of the winter and I yeah. stayed in the camper up by Death Valley for a couple of weeks or whatever and stuff like that. Um, is there a set amount of days or is it, you know, would it be 30 days you should, or is it just like your stench factor if you've been relatively clean and get away for a while? It's mostly loft appreciation. Uh, so, and that can be factored by a number of different things, your diet, like your body oils, how much you, how much, you know, so I have a friend that's, uh, we both, you know, go climbing trip, on a climbing trip and his bag will just lose loft more quickly. He's, he, I don't know if he sweats more or he's got more body oils. Maybe he's just, uh, you know, he's houses and car meticulous but his bag needs to be washed way more frequently than mine um, for the same you know amount of use. And uh, so it just depends. You can't really go by a set number of days, but just go by loft appreciation. And if you don't see the bread loaf between the chambers, um, you know, the, the round between the chambers, if it starts looking flat, then it's time to wash it. You don't want to wait till you've lost like two inches of loft, and then you probably need to wash it a few times to get it clean. Okay. So should people be sleeping in clothes? Um, like, like, is that a recommended thing? Because I've also heard that, you know, with, with down sleeping bags, I, and I know that this is a myth now, but, um, you know, I feel like there's a, a thought out there that you need to sleep naked 
in order for down to have its its uh, most effective, you know, warmth retention. Uh, what, what's the deal with like sleeping in clothes? Should you, should you sleep in, you know, a down jacket or something like that? What's the deal with what you should sleep in and does it affect the cleanliness? Yeah, it, it might prolong it if you have some layers on it might, um, but that really hasn't been tested thoroughly. I don't think, you know, in any controlled mm -hmm. setting uh, that I know of anyways. Okay. But, uh, by and large, just sleep in what you're comfortable with. Only will it attack the uh, performance, I think, of the down if you have so many layers on that it's starting to compress the down. That's why I said, like, if you've got a down jacket on and you're inside the bag and it's, you know, it's got too much bulk and it's, you've just got a lot of compressed insulation and not making use of it all. Okay. Um, I think that uh, what should be probably more of a concern with little subtleties in the, in the um, performance or warmth of the bag is, is, like, be really careful about the type of pad that you use. Uh, there's a lot of differences in pads these days, and it's more important to be really uh, mindful of those differences in construction on pads, I think, with a down bag than it is with a synthetic, because a synthetic, you know, will offer you some some insulation you know, below you when it's, uh, even when it, you know, your, your pad is not working properly. But if you blow up a, a, an air-filled pad and it drops below freezing, um, it you, doesn't matter how nice your bag is, you're still going to be cold because you're sleeping on a popsicle. Yeah. You know, like every everywhere where your body's in contact with the pad will be thawed out, but you know, other sections of the pad will freeze, will freeze, and you'll be rolling over having to thaw out new sections of the pad. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of lot of use of uh, air-filled pads these days, and I think people, uh, you know, lose sight of some of, the, some of those. So you want some insulation. So. Yeah, you want insulation. I mean, if you use an air pad, just don't blow it up if it's going to drop anywhere close to freezing, you know. Mm. It'll start frosting over it, you know, close to, you know, 35. Even uh, before it gets down to 32, it'll start frosting over. So okay, you can have issues even if it's not uh, at freezing, but a little bit above it. So you brought up an interest. You brought up where I wanted to go with the next question, which was on sizing. I feel yeah. that oftentimes people get too obsessed with the specs and the weight that they end up choosing a bag that is too restrictive that they end up and case in point I was sharing a camp with someone we both were sleeping in the same tent of ours not in the same tent but he was sleeping in a Cimarron I was sleeping in a Cimarron 15 feet away he had the Versalite which is a narrower bag and I think I had maybe the Alpenlite, which is a bit bigger bag. And he was, he was probably weighed, outweighed me by 30 pounds or so. And he complained about how cold he was and I was comfortable. Now I know there's a lot of variables and it snowed like 12 inches overnight or whatever because we both were knocking snow off our tents in the morning. I know there's variables and there's things like, how did you eat? How are you clean? You know, how clean you are? a lot of things like that as well as just the kind of sleeper you are but i thought like you know he was just too big for his bag you know he was probably 64 250 maybe 260 trying to fit in the 10 degree versalite hmm. yeah I, I girth is super important with respect to bag um and you can be comfortable in in one position you know like in a in a narrow mummy 
it's more likely to roll with you if you roll at night. So we distribute less down on the bottom of the bags. That's true of not only of us, but other manufacturers too. Mm. All down bags that are continuous baffled are going to have less down below. And so if you roll and the bag rolls with you, you got it flipped upside down, you may only have 40% of the down protecting you, you know, mm. insulating you. And so the narrower the bag you go in general, the harder it is to keep in place. You have to be mindful of it, maybe pinch your elbow down when you shift to your side um, or something. And if you can't work it into your sleep pattern to do that, then you might be better off in a wider bag, even though it's less efficient, because it'll be easier to keep in place when you roll around to your side. Hmm. What about like height? Uh, because I know, you know, if you're six foot four, there's obviously a reason why companies make six foot six bags, seven foot bags. Why mm -hmm. is it, why do you need that extra height um, in a sleeping bag to stay warm? So, depends on the bag. If you're getting a winter bag, you're going to be bringing things like water bottles in there to keep them from freezing, you know. So, mm. you might have other things in there with you at, at night. Um, it, it, with a winter situation with a non-winter situation just a two three season bag in my opinion you just go with the closest size to you if you're six five even but you don't have you know, unusually large feet if, if you got size 14 or something maybe you should go with the, a, a longer you know length uh, but by and large we measure before the hood starts curving it on the inside so even somebody that's full six foot will fit into a six foot bag mm. if their feet size is normal Mm. So that so that height rating is um, including the mummy piece. Yeah. So okay. the, the six foot rating is basically somebody that's six foot should fit into a six foot bag, and if it's not a winter bag, then I wouldn't go to the next length up, even if you're six foot. If you're if you have normal size feet. Okay. But some people don't like sliding all the way down into the bag. They don't, they like to be up off the bottom a little bit. The best way to know for sure is to get into a bag, stitch up the hood, and sit up. And if it pulls tight on your, your or, or pulls back on your forehead a little bit, then it's probably too short. You should go with oh, the next level. That's a good tip. Yeah. That's a good tip. Now, you mentioned draft collars before. I think draft collars, when it gets below freezing, start to become much more important. Um, I've had bags where they didn't have a draft collar, and you might end up with warm feet and legs, but cold chest, things like that. Um, there's a lot more, like you guys, we've covered fabrics, we've covered down quality to a certain degree, but there's a lot more that makes a good bag. Some of it's like draft collar, zipper, does the zipper run smooth, or no one really wants to get up, have to get up to relieve themselves in the night and have their zipper snagged five times, mm -hmm. you know, and then yeah. I frankly don't want to share a tent with someone whose zipper's snagged five times because yeah. they're probably going to be pissed off and then wake me up. Yep. Um, Moving around. So what are some of the other features? Like if we're talking about a comfortable, lightweight bag, not trimming every ounce, what are some of the other features that separate the better bags? Yeah, I mean, the, the draft tube and collar are the two most important uh, features, I think, and the hood design also. Um it's got to be easy to pull in and cinch up. We put a little bit of longer of a fabric so that you have a little bit of uh, down when you draw the draw port casing. Uh, mm. You don't have a draw port casing against your forehead. you got a little bit of insulation there. Um, but the design of the 
you know, the full collar or top collar uh, should be not just sewed as a flap. If it's sewed as a flap, it can lay flat and then it's not as effective, you know. So uh, we sew ours as a, as a three-dimensional tube. It's anchored at two places and it's, you know, got substantial amount of fill in it. And the, basically, if you cinch up the collar, all your body movement at that point will heat the bag up more quickly. So it does add a lot of efficiency to the bag. Um, and that's what, what I mentioned that, you know, the, the tests aren't perfect, the EN tests, because the mannequin doesn't move. Uh, and so it doesn't make use of all those things, but they really, really do add a lot of efficiency to the to the design of the bag. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a fan of collars if it gets anywhere close to you know 20 degrees, 30 degrees um, below those temperatures, it starts getting real important. Yeah. Wow. What about uh, zippers and zipper construction and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean zipper. Um, you know, zippers are basically the most of the issues that we have with our bags, the warranties and things, are zippers. And I can tell you that, by and large, if you want to have no zipper problems, is the one critical thing you have to do is make sure that tapes are always lined up when you when you first start them. Mm. A lot of the issues with zippers are that it was started one or two coils off. In the olden days, used to use such big coils, you know, number 10s, these big, you know, beefy coils that you couldn't start at one, one coil off. But nowadays with number five coils and number seven coils, even you can start at one or two coils off pretty easily where the tapes aren't lined up at the bottom. So, I mean, the stiff part where you first start the zipper on a separating zipper, mm -hmm. make sure that end, the bottom ends of those tapes are lined up before you start zipping it up. If they're not, if they're offset a little bit, you'll be at one coil off or two coils off, and then you'll have to strip the, the slider back over those to get, to get it uh, separated. And once you do that a few times, it starts opening the slider up a little bit, and then it won't work as well. There's, you know, so you can do fixes, you know, pinching it with pliers or needles or something in the field, but by and large, We'll have a lot less issues with zippers on everything from jackets to bags to, to everything if on separating zippers you always make sure those tapes are lined up and you're mindful of it then when you're operating it i think it's a good idea to just trail it with the finger underneath that's what i always do uh, on whatever i'm zipping up and that keeps the path free uh, ahead of the slider um, that's that I think helps too. Um, well, it you ensures guys, that you're not going to catch fabric in there or whatever. You guys have that pretty good stiffener in there too, so the draft tube doesn't catch a whole lot. A lot of yeah. the less expensive bags, the zipper seems to catch in the fabric a lot of times, mm -hmm. and then you're kind of pulling it or whatever. Especially if it's like in the middle of the night, um, for some reason you're like, oh, I need to get this unstuck or whatever. So yeah. It. Usually in the middle of the night when you wake up and you got to go to the bathroom and you're like, you don't got a lot of time, you know, you're like yeah. trying yeah. to scramble out of it. But it could still happen on our bags too. If the bag's folded a certain way or if the zipper, you know, folded back over the fabric, usually that'll be on the outside because we don't have the stiffening tape on the outside. But I think that our <laughs> tape works really well and it works really for many, many years. Um, so we like it. I've seen some other systems for keeping the zipper out some of them involve like four rows of stitching and it's just making more holes in the down chamber we don't really understand that but um but yeah that's important and and i think zipper issues are, are something you want to avoid and, and taking care of your zipper keeping it clean 
blowing it out, you know, if you're doing then, or brushing it out with a toothbrush if you are in a real sandy a place with real fine sand, you know, fine powdery uh, uh, dust, you know, like the uh, see city of rocks in in uh, Idaho. Pack rafting, uh, doing stuff like Escalante out in the desert. I mean, yeah, our, our, any, the grand. I mean, our biggest problem on our gear usually is sand getting mm-hmm. in the zipper. Uh, yeah. You know, and sometimes we end up replacing a pole as well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Usually you can get by for the rest of your trip. Uh, we did switch some years ago to a to a double pole locking slider from a single reversible slider because uh, we had some a few of them that pulled off in real cold weather. Um, and if they didn't have the lever at the very top of the U and they torqued on it in cold weather, the whole U would pop off. Mm. So we switched uh, to a double pull because, you know, if one, something happens to one, you still got the other, at least, you know, operate. We, we do kind of that on our nests of our zipperless tents mm-hmm. uh, on the inners. So that would be like the Eola Silex. We actually put four poles on there because um, uh. it's a number three that's relatively standard for more lighter tents. So it's yeah. a number three YKK, but we put four poles. So if you have one go bad on a trip... You can just yank so, it out and go to the next one. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, shoot, that was, I learned a lot about sleeping bags, that's for sure. I, especially down, I, I just feel like it's, uh, you know, it's such a wonderful material, but there's also, I feel like some people think that you have to treat it delicately and, you know, that it's not necessarily the best for adventures and stuff like that. But I, I think, um, you know, a podcast like this definitely helps enlighten people on, you know, just how durable down is. And I mean, you really think about it, like some of the best materials out there uh, for, especially for outdoor gear. Uh, you think about merino wool, right? Or, or just wool in general. Um, you think about down. I mean, they're, they're just items that came from an animal and animals are out there and they have to survive all four seasons, right? They, and they got to be able to get beat up, you know, ducks, ducks and geese, they're, they're, and I didn't think about that because I had always thought, you know, down is, uh, it's, you know, weak when it comes to water, but I didn't think but about the fact waterfowl. that. They're waterfowl, yeah. Yeah, they're waterfowl. <laughs> so, so they're, you don't see the duck, you don't see the geese wearing Arcteryx jackets in order <laughs> No, no, not, not Drown, yet. Drowning because the down is pulling them under the water. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. They're like, oh, God dang, I gotta stop here and pluck these darn down things out. Yeah. It's killing me. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of yeah. already naturally treated with oil, right? Like, like goose yeah, down I mean, because it, it's, like I said, you should, Take, I can send you some down after this. And put it in a water bottle. Keep it on your desk, and you'll watch it'll float for months. Nice. It's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, so Kevin's pretty durable. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't have any other questions. I think in the outdoor world, um, there's a lot of marketing that um, makes certain storylines, and then people go to their Facebook or their Twitter or their forums online or whatever, and they start spouting those things out, and then they start to become known as seen more as a fact because, you know, and a lot of times there's a little bit of truth in those, but the reality is very different. Like, mm-hmm. so many people will be like, oh, I go with synthetic because, you know, I might get it wet. And, you know, yeah. there's a little bit of truth in there, but it's vastly overblown. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, we know that... Uh 
some some guide agencies will will tell their customers to bring a synthetic bag like you know i think Knowles used to do that i don't know if they still do that or not but but you ask and all the guides all have gun bags mm. so even if they say in their literature that you know bring a whatever rating synthetic bag um and un- all the guides yeah. themselves will have down bags. And unfortunately, and so, sometimes I think they think that their clients are not astute enough to make it through without, you know, the, with a down bag. Like, they're too dumb to use a down bag, and they need to use a synthetic or something. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know yes. what the real reason is, but... I think that they've changed that now, so I don't, I don't see it as much in their... It used to be like in their policy, I think, but, um, you know, the, either way, you, eventually somebody continues to do outdoor uh, adventures, they're going to end up in a downpack. So we don't like have to sell anybody, you know, uh, it, it, you know, eventually you'll end up wanting the bag that's more compressible, that's warmer, and, and it just has uh, you know, a mu- much greater longevity. Mm-hmm. And so eventually, I think most people will end up in a down bag, even if they start out with synthetics for, you know, the first couple of bags, um, you know. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Well, Gary, um, really appreciate you jumping on here, man. Uh, that, was, that was a good podcast. And, um, yeah, I mean, did you have anything else that you wanted to add here? Uh, no, I mean, I think that uh, by and large what makes us unique is that we're, we're just making – the stuff it's not that we're selling skills are any better in, in the silicon valley where we're, where we're at it's just uh, that we watch over the production really carefully and we're just careful about all the little details i mean there's nothing that we do that i'm not proud of you know like we don't take any you know sneaky stuff or you know hide any corners or just do stuff without overlocking things and so we're we're uh, double stitching a lot of stuff and we've, we've only added time to the production uh, uh, process in since I've been here, we haven't shaved it off by cutting corners or anything like that. So we're just trying to make a bag that's going to last a really long time, and and I think that they do last a long time. I think that the average bag can last thirty to forty years if they're cared for properly. For somebody like a guy that's using it, you know, one hundred and eighty days a year, maybe it'll last ten years. But you know, people can make their bags last sixty years or longer. So most yeah. likely, it'll be some something you hand down. I know Family heirloom. I know the yeah. bulk of people at Seek Outside that have been around here for a few years use high-end down bags, either Western Mountaineering or Feathered Friends. And um, they've usually, like for Owen, when he started, Owen's like crazy comfort. He's got a ridiculous sleep setup. But, you know, he's he's like slept in Sequoia and was like, oh, my God, this is my thing. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, there's a there's a lot of people now. I think you haven't made the switch yet. I haven't. I'm working on it, though. Working on it. Before next uh, year. You know, I'll demo, huh? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'll take one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, I think it, I mean, just hearing from customers, right, like, um, I, I think people understand that you get what you pay for with a, a western mountaineering sleeping bag you know it is gonna it is more than a big agnes right but um you know yeah. the, it it is something that is i mean just the fact that it's made in america is awesome that it's you know made by people who are probably taking them out every single weekend and adventuring and stuff like that makes it 
worth the purchase? The, the last point, if I counted the amount of bags I've had, I think I've had three synthetics. I've had one or two quilts that I made myself. I had a custom bag, a quilt, two quilts from three quilts, different manufacturers. Oh, I had another down bag from another manufacturer, another down bag from another manufacturer. I had a custom down bag built by a lady locally. That's actually a pretty good bag. It's heavy. It's a, It's got a windstopper shell on it. Um, she actually designed a lot of the early marmot bags. Um, so she knew what she was doing. Um, that's a lot of money I've put in bags for a long time over the course of 20 years. Mm-hmm. When, what's this badger run, 600, 620, 570, something like that. Mm-hmm. I probably would have done that and forgot it and maybe added a quilt somewhere in there, you know, mm-hmm. for, yeah. for the more lighter adventures. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had a guy call us uh, about a year ago, maybe a little more than a year ago, and he said, you know, I just want to tell you guys, I love your stuff. I've, I've been through three marriages, you know, four trucks, you know, two, three dogs or something, but I still got my animal. So he's uh, the only thing that stayed with him uh, this whole time in the past 25 or whatever years. And, uh, it was probably not the greatest uh, news from a marriage standpoint or whatever. But, <laughs> I was going to say. But, uh, it was good to hear that uh, our bags stayed with him uh, for that amount of time. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's that. your new... That's a new marketing campaign. The only sleeping <laughs> yeah. bag that'll outlast your marriage. <laughs> that's right. That'll outlast several marriages. Yeah, that'll outlast <laughs> a whole lifetime worth of marriages. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, sweet, man. Well, Thanks like I said, appreciate you. And uh, yeah. Um, so I'm just going to stop this here. <laughs>